Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are very thankful for our lives before you. Keep us examining how greater those lives could be, how much greater those lives could be, and where the power for it com comes from. Especially this morning, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. I was... <clears throat> I was in a discussion, well, let me think how this worked. Well, the discussion came first. People stopped by my house, even in the middle of the day. And uh, certain people, it's usually Kenny, Greg, and Drew. Not at the same time, different times. Usually in the afternoon. Just. They say it's for the fellowship, but maybe for the cigars. Um, and this week, Drew came over, I forget what day it was. He should have been working, but he wasn't. And we were talking about the scriptures, and he had brought up John 14. We had talked about it for a while, but it, I said to my, I, I sort of mentally filed, I said, go back and look at that when it comes time for a sermon. So I did last night, uh, just looked at it, and then I just had to find out whether this morning I had preached on it recently. <laughs> Lo and behold, not only had I preached, it was this year, and I had done a series at the beginning of the year, March, March and April, when I, I sort of marched my way through a lot of the John, up to John, including most of John 14. So how am I going to deal with this? Well, admitting it, confessing it. But really it was the section following what I had, you know, right where I stopped preaching through John, there was a little bit, a little section there. This is in, in the um, Last Supper scene situation. It's got high priestly prayer a little bit, uh, a couple chapters later. It's uh, got uh, the Lord's Supper uh, chapter before, two chapters before. No, triumphal entry in 12, um, washing the disciples' feet, telling Judas to go away, Judas Iscariot, in chapter 13, and we get to chapter 14, which was, it's got some really rich, famous statements of our Lord. An awful lot, as you know, with John the Apostle, an awful lot of it is his sense of love, you know, that, that you get, for God so loved the world. Have you heard of that, John 3.16? All sorts of issues of love in his epistles and in his gospel. And as I looked at this passage um, and what I preached on the part that overlaps with earlier this year, I wasn't touching on something that was springing to mind. It might have been with my, because of my discussion with Andrew, I, I don't know. Um, but the first verse there, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay. One that doesn't sound like love, but you, I don't know if your mother ever said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Sometimes that can sound very right, sometimes it can sound very wrong. 
I don't believe you love me unless you do everything I tell you. We're not talking necessarily about whether God is brought to believe that you love him if you keep his commandments, but that if you do love him, you will keep his commandments. Well, as I was thinking about that, whatever the problems you may have with Jesus saying such a thing, he's Jesus, you're not. But I was thinking that when I'm in discussions with believers about love, part of the problem is I don't know how to love this person, I don't know how to love that person. Is love supposed to be an emotion or is it an obedience? What do I, what do, I do with this? Because they're struggling with things like love your enemies. Well, but, but they're my enemies. I thought we already decided that I wasn't for them in any way. They're enemies. But love your enemies. And people are often struggling with pointing love at unlovely circumstances, unlovely people. We might have the process, at least this might be a suggestion, that you might revisit the process of love. Because people are just really awful. Uh, we were talking last night, we had a group of the usual Tuesday crowd were in the library. And uh, we were talking with uh, Nico and Jonathan about, you know, Myers-Briggs stuff. And I've never taken a Myers-Briggs thing. I've been reading recently that it's all a crock. You know, that it's all just some mom and her kid worked something out and everybody believed it. And you had people wondering, and, and Nico looked up what Jesus was in Myers-Briggs. And various reports on various websites claimed he was various things, probably oddly tracking with the person who owned the website. But it never says, as far as I'm aware, when you get to, done with the test, you are an awful person. The only person like you is Judas Iscariot and Hitler. You know, because most of us are, well, you know, sinners. And that's the problem. We're living in a world where we're comparing notes and trying to love and, 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 and trying to base our relationships on something hung so much on the failure of the other people to be adequate of that love. Because it doesn't touch your emotions unless they're lovely. You just want to punch them in the throat. When it said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, I realized that a lot of Christians don't really stop and ask themselves if they love the Lord. They get caught up, naturally, in the testing of that love, in loving their fellow man, because it does connect the two. I will pray the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's an interesting distinction on the Holy Spirit. But he's describing in this section what Christianity is going to be. Christianity is not yet, he has not died, atonement has not been made, the Holy Spirit has not entered them, it has been with them but not in them. 
It's going to be in them. So as you look at a passage like this, especially as you're trying to live the Christian life in a a growing and acceptable way, to where you start to match. We were at the reading on Wednesday. We got one more, one more week, so don't attempt to start coming now. But, but Charles Williams's holy characters are so holy. Not holy in that hat, keep the rules sort of way. They're so, they're as you would describe a holy person, if the kind of holy person you want to know. And you might want to say, well, what is, that, what is that thing actually described in the Bible? What is God trying to do in us? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with it, but the measurement is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he goes about, we know that this is not a lift you up by your own bootstraps, prove to the gods, show up at temple, do the right jingly bells and do the right you know, slaughter of a small innocent animal. What we have in this religion is a well, the only way you could say it is you're been, you've been possessed. We are not I was like telling people that, you know, our religion is based on uh, human sacrifice and possession. Spirit possession and human sacrifice. The problem is that we slaughtering the 20,000 a day by the Aztecs is not effective. But we had our God killed. He became a man so he could be killed as a sacrifice for sin. And it worked. That was the benefit. But it is human sacrifice. And then the Holy Spirit will be in you. The whole idea of joining up with the God, being overtaken by the God, is not something alien to our religion. It's central to our religion. Because I need a path to these commandments and this love, both this love for my God and the love that he expects in his commandments of others. I will not leave you desolate, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You are measured in your walk with the possessing deity by how you encounter love. You will be measured by whether or not this love of God pours itself out in when it says in Paul that that fulfilling the law, love fulfills the law. Love does not wrong its neighbor. We know that this is the effect of love. We know that keeping the rules isn't love. Keeping the rules is the effect of love. And you can't claim, you can't claim to love unless you obey your God. You can't claim to love him. You can't claim to love others. And this, this sort of deal, however this deal is viewed by you, you've got to parse this out your, on your own, uh, perhaps, but you, you have to say, if I am measured this way, am I succeeding, meeting that measure, 
because if I meet that measure, not just because of the other believers will measure me this way and treat me this way and call me holy, but the God will consider me holy. The God will reciprocate. You will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Everything you might want in this religion. Now, whenever you talk about love, everybody wants you to talk about love and, and love trumps hate and what else? All you need is love. Everyone wants to say, you know, if you guys, if you Christians were more about love, we'd be all about that. Or we would be, that would be a better way for Christianity to be instead of so judgy and whatever else you might want. And then as soon as you start talking about love as it is, they go, oh no, let's not go there. Let's, because suddenly love carries with it a huge ethical debt. I have, if I love God and love my neighbor, remember those, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. Not only is love of God keeping his commandments, love of God is the commandment. So we're not strangers to this as Christians, but we also know that when our knees have bent before the Father, when we have loved him and serve him in our lives, people get a little nervous. And I loved how this next verse, this is sort of a thing when you read through a passage strike you that didn't strike you before. Judas, parenthetically, not Iscariot, okay, because earlier, chapter uh, 13, he sends Judas Iscariot away from the Last Supper. Who goes to rat him out. And so this question is coming from a Judas, not Iscariot. It's not so important to me who that was. But why, why would, for the writing of this, why would you want to tell people it was not Iscariot? Because you'd suspect the question, right? Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? If it had said, and Judas Iscariot asked him, you know, minutes before he ratted him out, this question, you would throw that question away. You would say, this is not, this is not a good question. Well, I want, as I thought about that, I said, yeah, that's, it really matters who asks the question. And immediately my mind sprung to the phrase, desiring to justify himself, said, I said, where did that come from? Remember that? Desiring to justify himself, said. Because that's what bad, bad questioners are about. It's loaded with justification, loaded with, but what about, what about this? What about that? Well, it comes from Luke 10, and there it is on the side. Verse 29, Luke 10, 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because he didn't want to hear, oddly enough, about love. The previous passage, there it is above there, I didn't leave it out. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We have the same questions. 
And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, this, this lawyer knew the right answer. You know the right answer. We all know all you need is love. How do you answer? How do you read? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the lawyer talking. And he said to him, you have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, we know that we're having to choose whether or not we're Judas not Iscariot or Judas Iscariot. Or our questions asking of God, how can I love you more? What is the path finding you more? Or are we justifying ourselves when we're reminded that Christianity is loving your God? Christianity is knowing in the love of your God, your love for your neighbor is going to be, as he says, your, and his commandments are not burdensome. We obviously can't claim that membership, Judas Iscariot was a member of the Twelve Disciples, inner ring, you can't claim that knowing the right answer on the test, because this lawyer knew the right answer on the test, that you saying isn't love grand, or you saying that Christianity is a religion of love. Ever heard, you know, a Muslim or someone who's a fan of the Muslims is calling it a religion of peace? <coughs> you know, you. Are we like that when we claim we're a religion of love? Because the claims, we're not being read in terms of our claimed resume. This is the good stuff right here. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. But let's not talk about that too much because I'm going to be getting into that mode called desiring to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? Who, I mean, really, do I... How many discussions have you been in where the Christian goes, but what about if... I don't care what the the command, the instruction, the, the admonition is of Scripture. But what about if, who is my neighbor? So it won't be Judas, not Iscariot. It'll be, in your case, Judas Iscariot asked. Because you are evading, running from, you might say, the task of this love. You keep his commandments. Now you know me. I am against, I'm an antinomian. I, I believe the law is not the path to holiness. And it shouldn't be studied that way. But I agree with the apostle, the Christ, that love is the path to holiness. And it will successfully make holiness if it successfully loves. So we really got to find out. We really want to know. For love fulfills the law. If I love my God, if I love my neighbor, I've got it figured. 
Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if a man loses, loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. How is God manifest to you and not to the world? The Lord's answer? Through this love. Because if you love him and keep his word, the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will make their home with you. That's how you will know. You will feel that God, and I don't mean to go to feelings, you will know that God has taken up residence, possessed you. But you have, it's not incantational. It's not walking the aisle crying a lot. It's not getting baptized. It is not doing all the sorts of things. It is loving and being changed by that love. Because recently, if you've been over the house or, you know, with Evan, it's like, uh, it's that whole hammer edge. You get a new hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so whenever I'm onto a new thought, I'm looking for nails in the room. And then in every conversation. And recently I've been on a philosophy of home. And, uh, and I consider that home is where you have found and enjoined obedience. It's not the hotel room, because there's not enough obedience in the hotel room, but it is your bathroom at home. You just feel, I was in my bathroom, and I've been in that bathroom for 38 years. It's amazing how at ease, comfortable. It's got the same utility that every other bathroom in the nation has. And yet, because it's obedient to me and to my lovely wife, it's my home. Obedience has an awful lot to do. Has this place submitted to you? Stop and think, have you submitted to God? Because if he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are going to make their home with you, you have got to have arranged your life in obedience to make it their home. It's not home for you. You're not trying to make it so nice that you would stay with you and you're pleased with you and you're um, happy with the way things are. We're talking about whether God is happy with the things as they are in your life. He who does not love me does not, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine but the fathers who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, pattern this. We have these things that measure our success with our God. We're seeking to be possessed by the deity. That he would be at home in our lives. And we want to have the victory that that presence of the God in our lives will bring. So we don't want to cheapen this thing with simple 
rituals, simple procedures, simple word claims, simple chanting back, Jesus is Lord, because no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So we try to create incantational faiths. There's really something else here. You are making a home for your God or you're not making a home for your God. The home he wants is one of love for him. Because love for him means you put the toothpaste where he wants it. All right? I don't know, some of you are married. And I'm sure your wife is lovely. But sometimes they decide things. Like rearranging... um, have you ever done that? Sometimes husbands might do that too, but they think, you know, it's the, just the shop. I'm in the shop, and of course I get to rearrange where everything is in the shop. But we both live in the bathroom. The toothpaste has always got to be where the toothpaste has got to be. You know how much of my, well, this wasn't my wife. And I don't think it's fair to peck on Stephanie, who's not here. Because um, she rearranged my library once. But uh, I come on with one of where I'm to blame. Doug, um, when he was young in high school, uh, was under a sun lamp reading, and he thought I could get two things done: I could be under a sun lamp and read at the same time. Well, he proceeded to burn the center of his eye, blistered it both sides because he was squinting because of the sun light, and and he was under there for an hour or something like that, and it just fried his eyes went blind. He had to bandage him up and uh, he had these big bandages on his eyes. So I drew some eyes on the outside of these frog-like protrusions. Well, it was, that was the nice part of my participation. The non-nice part was rearranging the furniture. And I can remember Doug feeling the confidence of walking towards the front door blind not realizing there was the back of a couch across astride the way, and over it he went. I, I had to, it was a good time. I still am not repentant. <laughs> but we know what things not being in their place, things not being where the homeowner, the home, the, the person who wants to know, I can walk to the bathroom in the pitch black and get there. We want home to be there. What is it God wants out of us? He wants us to measure out the home we are, the life we lead, the behavior we have treating others, to be in obedience to him, a kindness. What is love but patient and kind? We need to measure this. And not only is the measurement desired for us to be made, and he's making the commandments that we live by, but that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit all possessing us, the Holy Spirit coming into us in such a way that he would, what does it say? Teach? Father? What, what did I, uh, you're looking for what on this? I will, uh, lost my track here. Um, The Father will send in his name. He will teach you all things. 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, teaching you and bringing to remembrance the things that God wants you to be doing. The thing God has brought into our lives for us to do, the possession of the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father, will give you that remembrance. So we're not trying to dodge or say that Christianity grows or we just, we need, it's 2018, we don't have to listen to what God, no, he's not, he's telling us remembrance is key. Remembering what God has said. What Christ has taught. Because that's what the possession of the Holy Spirit is about. Now it says here, and this is the part I have bolded, was something that Drew and I had talked about. One of the things that God gave in Christ in this section. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In this situation, one of the things that you admire when you read good literature that represents not a Christian who walks six inches off the deck and always has a Bible tract to give to somebody when they need to give them a tract and, and doesn't drink, you know, or go to dances. Um, the kind of Christian you wish you were is one at peace. Obviously, I hope you wish you were one that loves. But in this, in this situation where you have committed yourself to be a servant to the living God because of love, and you don't have to worry about him not being lovable. Remember the non-Christian you have a hard time with? The enemy you have a hard time with? You can't turn around and go, yeah, and God, you're, well, perfect. How am I supposed to love you? You can't love your enemies and you can't love the perfect. You've got someone to love that's perfect. You've got his commandments that naturally flow from that love. The possession of the Spirit that we know from Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the teaching brought to remembrance of what it is I ought to be doing. This is the order of God. Now you've heard me say before that peace is not juice and peace is not some earthly authority deciding oh, I read some line in Latin that I had to go look up. It turned out I don't know what it was a line from it. It was in Charles Williams' novel on um, they have made for themselves a wilderness and have called it peace. Oh yeah, everybody can have the peace if you have total control over nobody bothering you. This is not the peace as the world gives, which has to straighten out all the problems first. Some of Christian ministries who have wanted to fix everything in the world, they can't even imagine being at peace as Christians because they haven't fixed all the things in the world. But this is not as the world gives. This is in trouble, not troubled. He enjoins them, let, don't be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And it's not because, because I'm going to remove in some health and wealth sort of way all the trouble from your life. Something, be aware of this, news flash, is going to kill you. 
probably one of the habits you have, whether it's adventure or smoking or worrying, whatever the, the enjoyments you have, it's killing you. And at some point, you, the great you, will be dead and will be at your funeral. All of us. Trouble is here to stay. The world is not bowing the knee to God. You are, and you in doing it, make yourself a home for God himself, and he, making his home in you, teaches you of your God, teaches you of his will, and you are given peace. Also, you heard me say to you, verse 28, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. What well, hangs on whether or not we love him, whether or not we trust him. Now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Ooh, that's ominous. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. One of the things I liked about Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ was the power he suggested in Christ over a very creepy Satan. I don't remember Satan in that very androgynous, wandering along the way of the cross with this monkey baby. Very weird. It's very weird. But very wicked looking. And Christ is being busy with, behold, I make all things new. The, the, the rule of this world thinks if they had known what was going to happen with the crucifixion of Christ, they would never have done it. But trouble is natural to love. When you love your enemy, don't write yourself some narrative that it has got to win them to Jesus. They may punch you in the face. Loving people doesn't fix it. It may help. It may hinder. It's what you were told to do. Because our God has done it. He has died for them. You be kind and patient. Now it says in John 12, a few chapters earlier, that this ruler of the world is coming. He says there in John 12, 31, now the judgment is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world is be cast out. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He fully expected the trouble that the wicked were going to put into was the peace, the love, the answer. The peace you get allows you to walk through circumstances um, unamazed, righteous, good to others. Christ says in 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me, 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. Christ is doing the exact same thing he has asked you to do. I do as the Father has commanded me so that everyone will know that I love the Father. Now John doesn't let this go. I have this little section from John 1, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is the child of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So you're wondering you know, how you love you're loving adequately? This is how we know when we love God and do what he says. If you're always the person who seeks to justify himself, if you're always the person in the conversation, but what if this happens? Do I have to do it then? Do I have to obey what Jesus said then, pastor? Whatever it is. Sometimes it's the pastor making that excuse. Well, I don't think you have to. Modern scholarship says we don't have to For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. He, he's a, John is really a one-trick pony. Okay? He keeps rewording things about this love backwards, forwards, inside, outside, Christ in you, you in Christ, Christ in God, God in Christ. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Oh man, but they are. You ever, you ever I don't mean to disagree with Jesus, but my heavens. Have you ever made a list? It's just New Testament imperatives. Uh, what's that guy named that basic youth conflicts guy? What's his name? Oh, yeah. Um, I got into trouble a little bit ago. Bill Gothard. Yeah, Bill Gothard. I guess he had a lesson. Nick Grozier was telling me about this. A le- basic book lesson training thing. The something on com- commands of Jesus. And... Nick walked up to him at one meeting and, and said, yeah, those are all really good, but you never talk about grace. And Bill Goth just turned away from Nick and started talking to somebody else. Some people can make this wonderful religion quite burdensome. We're not about that. Don't do that. Think about love bringing you to this, not this bringing you to love. You don't you know, wear, you know, hair cloth next to your skin and read the Bible more than you want to prove to God you love him and are keeping the commandments so you'll feel love for God. Find out whether or not you like, want, desire him. If you desire him, if you, you will pursue him to the degree of your desire. I'm not going to dictate you to you whether or not you have an opinion about God that is worthy of his pursuit. That's entirely what you're going to find out about yourself. You are going to, and don't try to fake it out that you, I, I know I'll look like I'm pursuing God so people will believe I love him. We know that kind of duplicity exists. We want this actual victory and his commandments are not burdensome. And if you turn the Christian life into a burden, and you start representing the commands that you're keeping because you've got that kind of view so you can make everybody else a child of hell just like you we're not selling a burdened religion we're selling freedom 
and freedom to love, freedom to holiness. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is what it all rests in. This is not just, uh, let's have a religion of love and we'll, we'll pick this dead Jew from 2,000 years ago. The Son of God we had faith in for the reasons that you had faith in him, the death to your sins, the need for forgiveness, the desire for newness of life, the desire for eternal life. Whatever the deal you understood the gospel to be preaching to you, you believe. This is the thing that is a step towards the love of God that your life becomes an obedient, kind, unburdened love for the brethren. You love the parent, you love the child. The rest of these people are the children of God. Loving them is not a problem. Be changed. If you wanted to you say, what's the takeaway, Evan, so I can just forget about everything you just said? Well, the takeaway is that you consider whether or not your relationship with God is what it ought to be. Just, just that alone. Let that, use the old Reaganomics, let it trickle down into love of others. I always mention that in that hideous strength, Jane isn't introduced to concept of how to love her husband more, who is, you know, a fool. She's introduced to God. And that God cannot, you cannot say, he is not lovely, he is not worthy of worship. When you look to him, when you see him as he is, you will either call for the mountains to fall on you, or you'll love him. And in this, Uh, we have the answer. It will end up loving your brother. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your mercies to us in this, your son, the gospel. We'd ask that we would concentrate on whether or not we stand before you with our face towards you, yearning to be at home with you and you to be at home with us wanting to serve you instead of serve ourselves. Thank you for that opportunity. We'd ask that we would practice it this week and we'd find ourselves being loving in expansiveness to all the rest. Keep us measuring it adequately. Keep us from turning this faith, this goodness, this um, blessing into mere rules. Keep us loving in your son's name. Amen.